0: Welcome to Real Christianity, where our mission is to bring the church back to the Bible. My name is Dale Partridge, and I'm the president of relearn.org and Reformation Seminary. The premise of this show is simple the culture is growing darker, the church is in need of sound doctrine, and many Christians are hungry for the truth. Join me here each week as we look to Scripture and discover what it really means to be a Christian. Welcome to the show. Today, we are going to continue our journey through the greatest book ever written, Paul's magnum opus, The Epistle to the Romans. As we remember, Paul opens the book with a short exposition of the gospel. He shares his love for the Roman Christians and boldly states this reasoning for why he's not ashamed to preach the gospel to them. And then he teaches the doctrine of justification by faith alone and the beautiful understanding that Christ is our righteousness. Today, we are going to transition from the introduction of the book, which is verses 1 through 17, into Paul's foundational argument for the gospel. Uh, In fact, his argument continues from Romans 1.18 all the way through Romans 3, verse 20. But before we begin, I just wanted to mention a couple things. One, uh, just If you haven't heard of the new book that was just released, I just finished a book called The Manliness of Christ, and we have sold maybe 1,500 to 2,000 copies so far. It's a short book. You can read it in about an hour or less. Uh, It's a great uh, gift for any man. Uh, We have several moms that have purchased uh, The Manliness of Christ for their sons, even as young as about 10 years old. And so go ahead and check that out at relearn.org forward slash man. It's not available currently on Amazon. It's not available currently on audio, but we are working on making sure that they will be in the future. But again, it's a great way to support the ministry at relearn.org forward slash man. The next thing I wanted to mention also is if you are struggling with uh, bondage to pornography, there are so many people in the church, men and women who are struggling with lust, and they are uh, stuck in the sin of pornography. If that's you, I want to encourage you just to check out a program that I put together a couple years ago and now have walked over well over a thousand people through the freedom that we find in Christ through the gospel over pornography. It's called standinvictory.org. It's a great program. It's short. You can do it in uh, you know a day or two, uh, you can spread it out over a week, you could spread it out even over a month, but it's a short gospel-centered program. Uh, it's not a, an overwhelming amount of work and it's incredibly helpful. Uh, we've had so many people that have found freedom there. So again, check that out at standinvictory.org. All right, so um, today, as I said, we transition to Paul's foundational argument for the gospel, but we need to see the connection that this passage has with the previous section. In your Bible, you're going to see the word for seven times between verses 16 and 21. If you're reading an ESV or an NASB, that's probably going to be consistent. Now, this word for signifies what's called a causal clause. And so there is seven interconnected causal clauses in this passage. And these Causal clauses represent the grounds or cause for the preceding action. Let me give you an example. John loves Sally because she is kind. I could also say John loves Sally for she is kind. So the word for and the word because can be interchanged. And it might be easier for you to read this passage of scripture by changing the word for to the word because in your mind. But let's just look at that example again. John loves Sally because she is kind. Therefore, Sally's kindness is the cause of John's love. So together, we're going to look at several causes that help us see Paul's framework in his attempt to set the stage for the gospel. So we, if we follow these causal clauses between verses 15 and 21, Paul essentially says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you because I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes because the gospel is the righteousness that comes from God because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. All right. So did you guys see the line of Paul's arguments there? obviously paraphrased a bit. Paul must preach because he's not ashamed. He's not ashamed because it's the power of God to save. It's the power of God to save because the gospel is the righteousness from God. And we need the righteousness from God because the wrath of God is revealed against the unrighteousness of men. So in short, Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to save sinners from the wrath of God. It is the power of God to make the unrighteous righteous. So while verses one through 17 primarily presented this side of the good news, the, the next section presents the bad news and ultimately becomes the reason for why the good news is so good. And the summary of this sermon As you guys know, I give these summary statements, this one core meaning behind the text. The summary of this sermon is sin is blinding. Okay, sin is blinding. And I want you guys to see how that truth is unfolded as we go through this sermon. Now, I've broken this sermon into four sections. Verses 18 through 19 is the wrath of God. Verses 20 is the evidence for God. Verses 21 is our blindness to God, and verses 22 through 23 is our rejection of God. And so I'm going to go ahead and read this passage of Scripture from verses 18 to 23, and then we're going to go verse by verse. So verses 18, I'm reading in the NASB. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth. In unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, being understood by what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their reasonings and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of a corruptible mankind, of birds, four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So that's the passage that we're gonna be dealing with. Verses 18 and 19 is the part of our first section. Again, I'm gonna read it. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. All right. First, we have to notice that how Paul presents the gospel. Pay attention here, people. He does not begin with the love of God. He does not begin with the benefits of God. He does not even attempt to prove God's existence. He's not attempting to make people feel comfortable. He's not using beginner language to accommodate the ignorant. No, he begins unapologetically with the wrath of God. He knows that there is no good news without a comprehension of the bad news. He knows that the door of salvation comes by repentance and the fear of the Lord. He understands that repentance and the fear of God comes How? By the awareness of our sin and God's wrath that comes as a result. A pastor once said, some might find it surprising that I would teach my nine-year-old about God's wrath towards sin. But I find it surprising that any loving person would withhold this truth from any person they love. Because only when we understand God's wrath towards sin, can we realize that we need to be saved from it. Only when we hear the very bad news that we're deserving of judgment can we appreciate the very good news that God has provided salvation through his Son. End quote. R.C. Sproul once said, If all you preach is the good news and you never preach the bad news, the good news becomes no news. In other words, the sick will not seek treatment if they are ignorant to their illness. Ultimately, Paul is teaching us here that the wrath of God must precede the grace of God. Okay, wrath must precede grace. You can't have grace without wrath. So the question you must ask yourself is this, are you, like Paul, beginning your gospel presentation with the wrath of God? and eternal punishment uh, that comes with that, or have you resorted to some more accommodating approach? Have you taken the biblical example for evangelism, or are you choosing to develop your own way? If you've chosen your own way, what is the driver behind that decision? Is it the fear of rejection? Is it the lack of confidence? Okay, we have to see how Paul unfolds this message here. So just pay attention. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Okay, first, the wrath of God is revealed. Now in scripture, uh, there are two types of revelation of God. There's general revelation, which is the evidence of God in creation. And that's from our own bodies to the governing of the universe. Special revelation is God's revealing of the way of salvation in Christ through his word. Okay, so we have general revelation and special revelation. The passage that we're talking about here is primarily dealing with general revelation, which is sufficient to condemn, but not adequate to save. I'm gonna say that again. General revelation is sufficient to condemn but not adequate to save. What I mean by that is that creation screams of a creator, but without scripture and the preaching of the gospel, no man can be saved. After all, faith comes by what? By hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. That's Romans 10, 17. So Paul states that the wrath of God is revealed through general revelation. It's revealed in nature by the fallenness of our flesh and the guilt of our own conscience. Uh, Every person longs for eternal life, yet our bodies inhibit us from doing so. We we die. We we long for peace, yet we're broken. We long for righteousness, yet we find ourselves riddled with guilt and shame. God's wrath is also revealed um, in the old covenant's uh, sacrificial system, which is designed to inform Uh, Mankind and teach mankind of the severity of their sin. Our sin is so terrible that something has to die in our place. Uh, Millions upon millions of animals were slaughtered because of the sins of Israel. Sin requires death. Therefore, sin is serious. God's wrath is also revealed in history through the fall of Adam and Eve, the flood. Is another evidence of god's wrath the destruction of sodom and gomorrah uh and and through the record of god's anger toward those who reject him Uh, god's wrath is also revealed most clearly and i would say most significantly at the cross that's where we see god's wrath revealed most significantly is at the cross our sin is so severe that in order to redeem us he had to pour out his anger and justice on his only sinless son. Okay, ultimately, the, the reality uh, that we've been living in in history teach us that God is a just and all powerful God who punishes sin for the sake of his great name. Now, secondly, God's wrath is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So it's not, so I want you to catch the word all here. Okay. God's wrath, we know, is revealed uh, through creation, um, through understanding of who God is, through our conscience, through uh, the cross, through history, um, and we can see that God is a righteous God. He's an eternal God. But secondly, God's wrath is against, quote, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men is what it says in that passage, meaning that it's against not only Israel, but also the Gentiles who are also guilty of the unrighteousness of men. So this is Paul's way of making a universal statement of condemnation. Anyone who rejects the one true God and lives in rebellion against his will is under his wrath. All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all of it. And then Paul says, quote, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now, notice that they know the truth, okay? You can't suppress what you do not know. So th- this is an important thing to catch here. This is the root of all other religions, in fact. Plutarch, who is a first century Greek philosopher, he once said, quote, if we traverse the world, it is possible to find cities without walls, without letters, without kings, without coin, without schools and theaters, but a city without a temple, or that that practiceth not worship, prayer, and the like, no one ever saw, End quote. Okay, humanity knows there is a God. The thousands of religions that exist testify to that fact. Okay, we know that there is a God. Ultimately, what Paul is teaching here is that humanity has no excuse for atheism. General revelation is absolutely sufficient for the evidence of an eternal and all-powerful creator. But he says their unrighteousness, that is their sinful nature from birth, becomes the means of their self-inflicted blindness. Okay, remember that passage. It says, who by their unrighteousness Suppress the truth. Okay, their unrighteousness becomes the means of our self-inflicted blindness for those who are lost. Even though the wrath of God has been revealed against their sinfulness from their conscience to the cross, they suppress it through denial and rebellion and will suffer the consequences of hell as a result. Jesus says in John three nineteen through 20, quote, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil for everyone who does wicked things, hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed End quote. So Paul continues in verses 19 through 23 to build this further evidence against the Gentile world who denies the existence of the one true God. And this is what he says in verse 19. He says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Verse 21. For even though they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile or meaningless in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. The evidence for God is not hidden. In fact, according to Paul, it's plain to see, and it's plain to see because God has shown it to them in the things that have been made. Nobody can see a magnificent building and deny the architect. Nobody can look at the art in the Sistine Chapel and deny the artist. Nobody can look at a gourmet dessert and deny the chef. In the same way, we cannot look at the human body, uh, the structure of the seasons, the governance of the galaxy, the laws of nature, uh, the reproduction of seed-bearing trees, the evaporative systems of water, uh, the, D- the DNA of our uh, scientific study of our, of our makeup. We can't look at all these things and deny a creator. Essentially, creation is sufficient evidence for an eternal and divine God. It, it is rational thinking to look upon the world and conclude that what was made has a maker. Again, it's rational thinking to look at a building and understand that there was an architect. And that is to say that general revelation is adequate to prevent any man on earth to stand before God and say, I didn't know. God would look him straight in the eyes and say, you did know, you do know. And better yet, what this does is it prevents any excuse for idolatry to worship a carved image of a bird or to praise a mountain or trees or to celebrate the moon. It's absurd. It's irrational and it's wicked. Okay. They have as verse 22 says become fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image of corruptible man. Okay. The first commandment in the 10 commandments is you shall have no other gods before you. Okay, This is what humanity does because of sin. We run from reality. We rebel against our maker. We hate the idea of submission to our creator. We want autonomy. We want to become and determine our own way. Ultimately, we are, we're enemies of God, and this is why we deserve hell. Okay, so we've learned that although general revelation is sufficient— for the evidence of God. It's not sufficient to redeem the heart, to reconcile, reconcile you to God and to save your soul. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except by me. Paul says in Romans 10, 12 through 17, he says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him on whom they have not heard? And how will they hear him without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We need to hear the word of Christ. We know we can walk into a conversation with someone and we don't need to do what is called classical apologetics, which is trying to produce evidence for God. We don't need to be trying to convince someone of the big bang, or against the big bang theory or talk about evolution or talk about... Um, the eternal power of, we don't need to have these deeper theological scientific um, issues or even, you know, moral relativism. These are important discussions to have at a cultural level, but you're never going to convert somebody through that line of thinking. That's classical apologetics. The other side is called what's what's called presuppositional apologetic apologetics. It presupposes the existence of God because scripture teaches that humanity understands and knows that there is a God. It's plain to see they suppress it in their unrighteousness, but they know that there is a God. Again, we talked about the religions of the world testify to that reality. There is a God and they know it. They don't want to submit to the gospel because they love their sin. But this reality is, is that we need to still preach the gospel So again, general revelation tells us of God's existence, his greatness and majesty, but it does not tell us of God's plan for salvation. So general revelation can redirect our worship from idols to the creator, but it does not tell us who to worship or how to be saved. And so general revelation reveals God, the maker of the heavens of the earth and the earth, but it does not reveal Jesus Christ, the savior of the world. Okay, the world's, again, the smorgasbord of religions is the strongest evidence of humanity's misinterpretation of divinity and suppression of the truth. Instead of worshiping the God of the Bible, who consistently and coherently aligns with reality, providence, and the conscience of our minds, uh, they substitute, what do they do? They they substitute nature or self uh, as the object of their own worship. I see this all the time here in Sedona, Arizona. There's people doing moon seances and and bowing down before the red rocks and going to vortexes and hugging, literally hugging trees and, and talking about Mother Earth or whatever it may be. They are literally worshiping idols. And some of them are even handmade idols where they're bowing down in front of them but they've substituted nature or themselves as the object of their worship. They think that they're a part of the universe or that they're a part of creation or that they're a version of God or whatever it may be. That's what we do. We know that there is a God, but yet we reject it because of our unrighteousness and our sinful nature. So ultimately, general revelation offers enough to provoke the recognition of an eternal, loving, and all-powerful God, but it does not provide the substance of how we might enter into relationship with him, which takes us to the conclusion of today's message. How do we make the blind see? How do we make these individuals that are self-inflicted blindness through the unrighteousness of their sinful nature, how do we help them see? And as I referenced in Romans 10:17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. We need to proclaim the gospel. We need to tell people that of their need for repentance to the one true God. We need to teach them of the forgiveness that they can receive through faith in Jesus Christ alone. This is essential. They need to understand this reality. Um, The late reformer Archibald Brown once wrote, quote, the gospel is a fact, therefore tell it simply. It is a joyful fact, therefore tell it cheerfully. It is an entrusted fact, therefore tell it faithfully. It is a fact of infinite moment, therefore tell it earnestly. It is a fact about a person, therefore preach Christ, end quote. The gospel needs to be heard. And there's two ways that it can be heard. It can be read or it can be preached. Essentially, it's scripture, right? Scripture can be read or it can be preached. But those two avenues need to be completed. They need to be proclaimed. They need to be preached. In fact, when you think about it, no person was ever saved any other way Than faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, no person was ever saved that didn't come through the hearing of the scriptures, the truth of the scriptures or the preaching of the truth of the scriptures. In fact, no one even came to faith through prayer. You can pray for somebody, but they can't actually come to faith unless they've heard the scriptures or read the scriptures. And this is why when we pray for someone to be saved, what we need to be praying also for is that someone would proclaim the gospel to them because it is the means of salvation. It is the vehicle and the agency on which God uses to adjust and change the heart. It is the midwife to the new birth. We cannot save anyone any other way except through the means of the gospel. So it needs to be preached. Yes, we do need to be praying for people. Yes, we need to be talking about theology and studying. Yes, we need to talk about uh, the truth of God, the moral law of God. But at the end of the day, the only thing that can save is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. On that note, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us evidence for your nature and who you are And that you are the creator in eternal and divine power of majesty and greatness, that we can see this in the things that are made. And Lord, we ask that you would give each and every person wisdom on how to understand these facts and how to present the gospel. Lord, we ask that you would teach us to present the gospel with the bad news so that we can present the good news. We know, Lord, that the wrath of God is what makes the grace of God so majestic and so merciful. Father, we ask for a blessing upon those who are listening, that they would be encouraged, edified, confident in your truth. Lord, that you are the one who saves, but you send us to proclaim the gospel. We thank you for including us in your providence and the involvement of salvation of those who you save. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, I hope this was a message that was edifying for you on this journey through Romans. Uh, if you guys haven't left a review of the podcast, I would love it if you would take a moment to do so. You don't even need to write something. You just need to tap the stars in your podcast app. It might be Podcast, it might be Spotify. Um, if you do write something, I will read it. Those reviews really do help the exposure for the show and it helps people find Uh, our show. If you also don't follow us along on social media, on Instagram at relearn.org, at Twitter at Dale Partridge, you can find me there, even at Facebook at relearn.org. We're there producing constant amount of content. We also have a YouTube channel uh, that's got about 25,000 subscribers. We're continuing to add more content there as well. Uh, But thank you guys for following along and being a part of this journey. My name is Dale Partridge. This is Real Christianity. And we will see you next week. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Real Christianity. Real Christianity is a listener-supported audio ministry of relearn.org. Our mission at relearn.org is to bring the church back to the Bible. We achieve this through strengthening Christians in biblical and theological literacy. Find biblical articles, podcasts, sermons, and videos at our website at relearn.org. Our team is small. But our mission is large, and we need your help. If you'd like to support our ministry financially, you can always do so at relearn.org forward slash donate. Thank you again for joining me today, and I hope to see you next week for another episode of Real Christianity.